Hey, you guys, I just want to say oh, I am so blessed to be here. And just even as, a, as we were worshiping together, sensing God's presence and God's love for me and for you. And I just want you to know that God loves each one of you. And it's not a coincidence that you're here this morning. I believe that God has a purpose for everything. And today, this is the day that God has made uh, to minister to you, to speak to you. God wants to uh, meet with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to answer your prayers. And he wants to demonstrate how much he loves you. And so, you guys, it's a real privilege for me to uh, be here uh, today with you. As um, Kent mentioned, um, I met Nick through our EV Free Network, um, and I was always encouraged because he would share updates about the progress of the church plant going back years, and so it was really neat to hear the different things, and praise God, glory to God for your one-year anniversary, by the grace of God, um, meeting here. I know it's been a couple years that you guys have been as a church, but I'm just so encouraged by what God is doing here. And for me, being here, I have to say, it's kind of nostalgic because we just celebrated our nine-year anniversary as a church plant on Easter, and we started a school exactly like this in Alhambra. And so I saw the trailer back there. We had a trailer, so setup and strike team and all the setup with the children's ministry, the greeters out there. It's just so neat to see what God is doing. God is faithful, and he is building his church. So it's a truly a blessing. Uh, for me to be here uh, with you guys. Uh, this morning, shall we open up to Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4 this morning. We're going to just dive right in this morning. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him, that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no uh, depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched because it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns came out, and it choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell on the good soil, and as they grew up, increased and yielded a crop, producing 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Heavenly Father, we come before your holy word this morning, God. And we're asking that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and that he would give us ears to hear. I can't hear, God. I need the Holy Spirit. We need to hear uh, your word this morning. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would soften our hearts to allow the Word of God to evaluate our hearts this morning. God, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, His death, resurrection, giving us new life in Christ. And so this morning, God, we want to be more like you. Jesus, uh, we want to deny ourselves. We want to take up our cross. And we want to follow you this morning, God. I pray that you would pour out your Spirit, the Comforter, and He would encourage us and teach us this morning. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning's message is really a deep scan or a deep evaluation of our hearts, of our heart. And God wants to reveal to us the spiritual condition of our hearts this morning. 
In Mark chapter 4, verse 23, in fact, uh, Jesus actually said to his listeners, the crowd around, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, Jesus is asking me, he's asking you, who of you this morning is paying attention? Who came here this morning to hear from the word of God? Who is willing to give God their full attention? Who is willing to say, God, I allow the word of God, your word, to evaluate my heart this morning? And so with that, shall we just come with an open heart, an honest heart, saying, God, please speak to me this morning? So let's go ahead and, and take a look. You, it says here in uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, it says, He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd was gathered to him that he got into the boat, and in the sea he sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea and the land, and he was teaching many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. First of all, notice what we see. It says that this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and immediately uh, just massive crowds began to come around him. Him in, in the hundreds and even getting up into the thousands eventually. And this large crowd gathered so much so that there was no room for him. And he had to kind of get into a boat and push off from shore and began teaching from uh, the boat here. And it says there, the crowd was by the sea and in the land. So we see that there's a large crowd. He's growing in popularity. Uh, and we see that Jesus, though, something very interesting, he's not impressed by crowds. He's not infatuated by large numbers the way a lot of times that we can be always looking into numbers. Jesus was looking at something else. He was looking at hearts. He was more concerned about the people's hearts. In verse 2, it says this, that he went teaching and he was teaching them many things, but notice in parables, in parables, his style of teaching or the genre of teaching he was using was that of parables. Now, a parable in the original language literally means to place one thing alongside another thing for comparison. To place two things side by side for comparison. <clears throat> parables are short stories uh, illustrating a spiritual truth. They're oftentimes figures of speech, allegories, or metaphors. But a parable is something very familiar, an earthly story that we could all identify identify with uh, to explain a heavenly meaning. And so, uh, for instance, uh, Jesus told about a woman who lost something very precious, a coin, and something very precious, and she searches the entire house until she finds it. And that story is something that we could all relate to because we've all been there. We've all lost or misplaced something very precious. You guys ever been there when you're running late to a, to, to a meeting or, or an appointment or pick up your kids and, and you can't find your keys? And you're like, oh no, and you're just running around the house looking for your keys or you can't find your cell phone and then you've got to be somewhere and you always say, hey, somebody call my phone. I don't know where my phone is. Who's seen my phone, right? Or uh, you go to pay and then all of a sudden you check and you can't find your credit card and you immediately panic and you're thinking, when's the last time I used my, my credit card? We've had that. We can identify with losing something precious. And that's why Jesus uses parables. The reason why he spoke in parables, which were oftentimes symbolic or even cryptic stories, was twofold. First of all, it was to actually hide and withhold or keep the truth from those who were indifferent or not true seekers. Those of his enemies who were coming not because they were seeking a knowledge of the kingdom of God or truly wanting to hear from the Lord, but rather they came with their minds made up to look to just find, to criticize. 
And so for those people, he actually used parables to withhold the truths of the kingdom for them. But then there's a second reason, and he used them, parables, to draw his listeners uh, in to get straight to their heart. He, it was to draw us in. That's what parables Parables do. They draw us in closer. Parables are not clear or direct, but rather they force us to slow down and think, hey, what, 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 actually, there's something there. What is it? I don't quite get it, but I, I got to think about this. And it causes us to slow down to think about the deeper meaning, which is necessary to produce lasting inner transformation in our hearts. This parable forces people to be confronted with their heart condition and it forces them to self-examine their hearts, motives, and true spiritual condition. And Jesus did not want the crowds to be deceived by their moral piety of their true spiritual lifelessness. And that is why he's teaching this parable that we're going to study this morning. I want to give you a little cultural background here. Uh, Northern Galilee, where Jesus is teaching, was an agricultural society. Okay? And as Jesus taught here with the crowds, there was most likely uh, rolling hills in this area and probably a farmer in the background, literally with a satchel, literally just casting seeds out, just walking in the background as everyone was gathered listening to Jesus' teaching. This would have been very common, and Jesus probably seen this, and as a master teacher, <clears throat> did a... Um, parable right here to illustrate um, um, our heart. Jesus teaches this uh, crowd using common example of a farmer who's casting seeds on four different types of soils. Now the soils represent different conditions of our hearts. There's four different responses to the gospel. There's four different responses. And this parable is primarily talking about salvation. It's talking about the kingdom of God and truly having salvation, knowing the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you a quick spoiler alert, okay? The first three soils are not saved, okay? They're not true Christians. Only the last soil is truly Christians and experiencing true saving faith in the gospel. And here's the reason why. Only the fourth soil produced fruit, okay? And so we're going to see that. So that's Jesus' literal interpretation of the text. We're going to go through it, but uh, we need to understand that. And I want to be faithful to the text uh, so that you have that understanding. I want to make that very clear. But also, I want to share this. I believe that there's also application, though, uh, not in a, uh, a salvation aspect, but rather in a sanctification aspect in our own growth and walk with Christ, that we can find ourselves at moments and times in various stages. We're not going to be camping out there for a long time in a defining way, but in seasons, maybe we're finding ourselves in these various types of soils, and that should cause us to want to repent and, and return back to Christ, because maybe we've left our, our first love, and we just want to see where we're at in our walk. And so true meaning is salvation, but there's application for, I believe, sanctification that will speak to us who are in Christ as well. But here's the thing. Each one of us will respond in one of these four ways to the Word of God and the Gospel. Be open for the Lord to speak to you this morning. 
Even as I was convicted preparing this sermon, there's a lot of prayer and repenting that I had to do and, and crying out for God. God, work in my heart, even as I was preparing this. But here's the thing this morning I want to encourage you. Do not assume that you are good soil this morning. Do not automatically just say, I'm good. All right, I'm good, Pastor. I'm straight, right? I'm good soil. Well, are you? Most likely you are, but are you? Listen to the Spirit this morning. So look at Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Let's jump down to verse 14. Jesus says this, the sower sows the word. The sower is sowing the word of God. So that seed that Jesus is talking about, that literally, he gives it uh, interpretation. The seed represents the word of God. The seed is God's word or the gospel which the, the farmer is casting out. And did you know how critical the seed is to a farmer? Without the seed, the farmer has no farm. There's, there's nothing that's going to grow out. It's, it's vital. It's critical. And in the same way, do you realize how critical the gospel is? Without the gospel, there's no church. There's no life. There's, there's nothing. The gospel is everything. And so what we are committed to is sowing the gospel, faithfully preaching the gospel, teaching the word of God verse by verse. And here's the reason why I am convinced that you will not grow spiritually without the Word of God. And because the Bible says this, Jesus says this, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as we open the Word of God and we feed on the Word of God, guess what? We are communing with Christ and we're going to grow in Christ. The Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word means sanctification is spiritual maturity growing in to Christ's likeness happens as a result of our time studying, reading, meditating, thinking about, and applying the Word of God to our hearts. And so the soul sowing the Word of God. Now, notice that the farmer is not carefully doing soil studies to determine the good soil. He's not going through and evaluating every soil very carefully and then very carefully like, Okay, good soil right there. Okay, good. No, no, bad soil. He's not, he's not doing that. He's just going, bah! He's just getting it and casting it. And it's, he's flinging it wildly everywhere. He just wants to get it out. Proliferation was his goal here. And, uh, and for you and I today, we are not to determine who will accept Jesus or respond to the gospel or not. We are to share Jesus with everyone. That's between God. That's between them and God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit sovereignly to do that work. That's not our work. Our work is to preach the gospel and make Christ known to everyone. Tell people that there's a God named Jesus who loves them deeply. Did you know there are people around you, all around you, your co-workers, your neighbors, your classmates, uh, people that you see at the gym or your Starbucks that are lost, especially in these days? And they're looking and seeking the very hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And God wants to use you to preach the gospel and lead them to true saving hope in Christ. So now let's look at these four types of soils that, and see what they represent um, according to Jesus. So point number one here on your outline is the road, okay? The road is a hard heart, okay? So the pathway is a hard heart. So let's jump down on verse 15. Verse 15 says this, <clears throat> Um, and those are the ones that are beside the road where the word is sown, and they hear it immediately. Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. <clears throat> 
So Jesus is teaching that the seed that fell on the road, they lay there exposed, and then the birds came quickly down, and the birds uh, gobbled up the seed. They ate all the seed. So think about this. Pathways were never meant to have seed on them in the first place. The purpose of a pathway is to enable people to walk on them. So the pathway serves its sur uh, purpose to uh, transport, and it'll never fulfill what it was never intended to do, which was raise a harvest, you know, of a crop. It was purpose to transport people, not yield a wheat. Um, and the path is something that is traveled, and I was thinking about this, by very busy, busy people, people on the go. They have important things to do, important people, busy people with schedules, uh, places to go, activities, you know, uh, all these different things. And they're too busy to slow down for the soil of their hearts to be tilled and broken up. And the pathway is the road of those who are too busy on their well-traveled schedules. So the road represents people with hearts completely hardened like asphalt, where there's no way for the seed to even penetrate, no way for them to even respond to the Word of God, making it way too easy for Satan to swoop in, or his demons represented by the birds, and come and snatch out the seed, snatch up the Word of God so it doesn't take root, producing salvation or sanctification on the hearers. And I believe that there's two ways that this is, can happen in our lives. Think about birds. I was thinking about this. Birds just circle. They kind of hover. They're perched up. They hover. They circle. And I think they start circling way in the morning before we even wake up. Before you get out of bed, they are circling in the form of your iPhone. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, right? Get your phone, right? And then you check your emails, your texts, your social media, your Instagram, your Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it is. And you're just kind of like scrolling through in the morning. And I think that's the birds. Think about this. Uh, the, the two most important parts of your day is how you begin your day and how you end your day. And it's interesting that oftentimes it's with our iPhones, right? In the morning, you're scrolling through, checking the weather, or whatever it might be. Um, did anyone, you know, like my post or, you know, any new followers or at night? Nighttime, when at the end of a long day, you get in your bed and you're just scrolling through your Instagram, just right, just kind of zoning out. And I think those are just birds circling around. When really, what do I need to do? I need to begin the morning in the Word of God, and I need to end the day in communion and prayer, just spending time praising God for His faithfulness. But instead of doing that, the birds come in the form of just the distractions on our phones, and it us away from these things. And I think it's just those uh, digital addictions, that dopamine hits that we get from the late likes, the teens, or whatever it is that keeps us on our phone, that is keeping us away from the Word of God. And it's a spiritual warfare. The enemy's using that to keep us out of the Word of God. And these birds swoop in and they take the word of God before it could ever get to our hearts, before the day even starts. The second way is just disinterested in the gospel. Maybe your heart is so hardened, you've just heard it, you're so callous to it, or maybe you're so bored uh, over the word of God, you're just not even interested. It feels irrelevant to you. Or maybe you're sitting in this room, but your mind is a hundred miles away and you're here and you're thinking about where we're going to go for lunch or all the activities and the things that you have to do uh, today afterwards. And you're not even engaged in what God is speaking right now. If that's you, you are in danger of having God's word being snatched up before it even touches your heart. 
And uh, so God asks, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Point number two is this, the rocky and thorny soils. The rocky and thorny soils. These are hindrances to faith. Hindrances to faith. Let's take a look at verse 16. It says, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but they are only temporary. And then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, they immediately fall <coughs> away. <clears throat> Interesting, the rocky soil. Um, the rocky soil uh, are those who, uh, and the thorny soil, they received the word of God. They actually began to show signs of life and growth, but before they could ever bear fruit, they had their life source cut off and withered, and they, they, they died, okay? They withered out. Now, the rocky soil is different from what we think about. Um, I, I live in uh, San Gabriel. I did some uh, work in my uh, backyard. I had some concrete poured uh, for a basketball hoop for my for my kids who all play basketball. And uh, the contractor was there, and he was he was digging deep um, to set a post. And he says, "Hey, look, you want a potato?" And I said, "Potato." And he goes in there and he pulls out this rock. He's like, "We call these uh, San Gabriel potatoes, and they're just these uh, rocks because there's so many rocks in the soil." And so it's it's not like one of these rocks where you know just like a softball-sized uh, rock that's talking about, but rather what it's talking about, it's a slab, a slate of granite or of rock that there's a uh, few inches of topsoil, a thin layer of topsoil, then under that there's this entire sheet of rock soil and uh, um, uh, of rock. And so what happens is the seed will fall on the topsoil, it germinates, it sends its roots down, but then it hits that soil, I mean that rock, and it can't go any further to draw upon the water it needs. The sun comes out in the Middle East and it just scorches everything, and then it, it, it quickly withers there. That's the picture here. In other words, there was no depth. There was no depth to draw the nutrients that that, uh, that, that uh, plant needed for survival. And uh, the sun's heat represents temptations, challenges, difficulties, or sufferings, testings to test the quality of the faith. And there is just no depth of soil uh, for, the, for the wheat to, um, to root there. And there's no depth of faith or time in God's word for these Christians or these people to mature in Christ. And so here on your outline, the rocky soil represents a heart that has no roots for spiritual growth and it falls away at the slightest temptation or trial that they go through. They experience a moving uh, time at church or maybe at a conference or a message and they're, they're sensing the Holy Spirit and they're agreeing in their brokenness and the emptiness and they want that really quick and it's very emotional but they don't get into the word. Uh, they're not grounded in community groups. They're not consistently uh, um, grounded in uh, the body of Christ and it just takes a perfect temptation or the first uh, difficulty that comes up to them. They're like, what is this? They get flustered and they just completely fall away and they walk away. Jesus says the problem is they had no firm root in the grace of God to nourish them and supply them with life. Their faith was not strong enough to endure the challenges living in this fallen world. Now the next is a thorny soil. Let's take a look at verse 18. He says this, And others are the ones whom the seed had sown amongst the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word of God, but the worries of the world and the uh, deceitfulness of riches 
and desires for other things enter in and chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. And so here, this is the, those that were uh, sown in the thorny soil. This is the third soil. It took root, sprung up, and began to grow. But soon after, these thorns began to creep and climb and claw around them. And it choked out the nutrients and the sun that the plant needed to grow. And soon it withered. Thorns have very aggressive root systems and they grow very quickly, the vines around them. And uh, they take in uh, uh, vital resources like water or sunlight and stuff like that. I had at my old house a Boglavia. It's just a beautiful flower, but it has thorns and it would just attack and grow everywhere, wild into trees, uh, up, up poles, through fences and everything. And so they're very fast growing, they're very aggressive. <coughs> And they could stifle and suffocate any types of plants or flowers that, that you have. And it says it's choked out by the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life. The thorny soil here on your outline is a heart that only wants Jesus on their terms. They want to get heaven without giving up the pleasures of this world. You see, they wanted both eternal life in heaven and the pleasures of this world. They wanted the benefits of heaven without the paying the costs of discipleship. The thorns represent a heart that is consumed with the temporal things and the comforts of this world. Riches, image, beauty, pleasures, materialism, careers, homes, cars, prestige, relationships, sports teams, success, social media, validation from followers and likes. In other words, this is the soil. Did not outright deny Christ. Rather, they simply diminished and devalued the sufficiency of Christ. These are the ones that are saying, oh yeah, Jesus, oh he's good, he's good, but what will really make me happy is Jesus and a boyfriend. Jesus is great, but what will really make me happy is Jesus and me getting accepted into my top uh, college choice. Jesus is good, but what will really make me happy is Jesus and this promotion at work or a raise. Oh, oh, Jesus is great, but what really make me happy is Jesus and getting into a new home because the market's so crazy just to move out of my condo or my apartment. Jesus is good, but what will really make me happy is Jesus plus being able to start a family and have our own kids. See, whatever you add to that, it's saying that Jesus is not enough. Now, these things, they're good things. I'm not preaching some legalism type thing. There's freedom in Christ to enjoy these things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shun any of the things that we're, I, I just mentioned. These are good things. Things that, 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 that we're, we're grateful for with them. But we need to make sure that Jesus is always our number one priority. And they must all fall second to first knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ. Don't be fooled in thinking that these other things will bring you true joy. Only worshiping Jesus will. And again, we're talking about like respectable, uh, like respectable sin or respectable idols, I'll put it that way. An idol is something, it's not a statue of like, you know, like a Buddha or something. Uh, uh, an idol is anything that you love more than Jesus. Anything that you look to for your happiness, security, worth, and identity. That is your idol. In other words, I am to look to Jesus as my happiness, my worth, my identity. 
That is found in Christ. And anytime I look to anything like, whether it's my education, my career, my ministry, my family, right? Any of these things could be misplaced priorities that we worship and replace our Savior. And so Jesus has to be the number one priority of our lives. Always here. And uh, the Bible says that you cannot love both money and God. You will either be devoted to one and hate the other. And so we want to make Jesus the passionate pursuit of our lives. Now let's look at the good soil to see the results um, of the good soil and what that entails. So point number three is the good soil. That's the only soil that had lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. Let's look at verse 20. It says here, And these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. These are the ones who they heard the word. They accepted it. Notice there was this accepting. <clears throat> they applied the word of God. They obeyed the word of God. They believed the word of God. And it bore fruit. Some 30, 60, and 100 fold. So uh, this good soil is a soil that heard the word of God. They heard the gospel and they responded in faith. And faith is literally means to place your full weight in something. Uh, this morning you exercised faith. You came in here. You looked at the seat and without even knowing it, you believed that it could hold up your weight. So you placed your full weight and you sat down in that chair. That's faith. We are to place our full weight in the promises and the teachings of God's word. That's faith, okay? The difference that set apart the good soil from the other soils, it was the only one which bore fruit. None of the others had fruit. And John 15 verse 8 Jesus says, my father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. You want to glorify God? You want to please God? You want to bring a smile to God's face? The way that you do that is bearing fruit out of your lives, and that demonstrates the genuineness of your faith, assurance of salvation, and that you truly are the real deal, that you are a true disciple. So what is spiritual fruit? Spiritual fruit is godliness that only God provides. You don't, you don't produce it. You, you don't, this is not something I work on. This is something I receive. This is something that God does in me. This is something that God produces in my life. It's spiritual maturity. It's Christ-like character. Galatians chapter 5 uh, demonstrates what they are. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are attributes of Christ, of God himself. I like to say this real quick. You have uh, gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are the power of God, the mighty works of God, the, the power of God that he endows his, his believers. So we have gifts of the Spirit. That's the work of God, the power of God. But then you have the fruit of the Spirit. That is a very attribute of God, the character of God. The, it's, it's just being like God. And uh, I, I think always greater, both are, are important. But if I had to choose one over the other, I'm going to go with the fruit of the Spirit. Because the Bible says that, hey, you could, you could have the gift of teaching or the gift of tongues and you could uh, preach the paint off the wall. You could be a, have, do all these amazing things in the gifts, but without love, which is a fruit, you're a sounding gong. You're just making noise. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is what validates true maturity. And so that's why it's so important here. Also, fruit of the Spirit is just uh, Christ-likeness and holiness, a willingness to repent of sin. 
You know, I, I, I hope that through the gospel, I've been learning that as I've been growing in the gospel, there is a joy in repentance. There's a freedom in repentance. Uh, if I'm being religious, I got to fake it till I make it. So uh, repentance is terrifying because I got to like, I got to front that it's all good when it's all falling apart. But when I know my identity in Christ and I truly understand the gospel, he bore all of my sins on the cross and my identity in his righteousness, not my self-righteousness, I can confess my sins. I can ask for prayer and I, I, I can be known by others well and I don't have to hide because of the gospel and repentance and pursuit of holiness is a joy and not this fear, <clears throat> something that we have to, to, to avoid. You know, so how do we bear fruit is a question. How do we bear fruit? First of all, it's a result of good soil, and that is a work only the Holy Spirit can do on our lives. The Holy Spirit has to till my hardened, crooked, shady, corrupt heart that's just filled with sin. Only the Holy Spirit can do it, but he will do it. The Bible says that, uh, you know, in Ezekiel 36, 26, uh, you know, um, Take my heart, uh, fill me with your spirit, and then remove this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. God will give us a new heart that will respond to uh, the word of God and to the spirit. And so the good soil has to be prepared. And in order to uh, have good soil, this is just like common knowledge. You got to do a lot of work. It's, you've got to pull some weeds and plant some seeds, okay, if you want to be good soil. Think about it. Now with the, what do they call it, atmospheric rivers or whatever, with all that rain we just got in California needs that, so praise, thank you, Lord, for all that rain. We had what they are calling the super bloom, right? You're seeing from satellites all these uh, f uh, flowers blooming. And just in my neighborhood, it's just amazing. So gorgeous flowers, and my roses are exploding, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. But with the flowers also comes the weeds, right? So now the weeds are just like an advancing army. They're everywhere. So, you know, you got to get those weeds and you got get your weeds before they go to seed. Because once they get this little tuft or whatever they call it, you know, goes like thousands more, right, for next season. So get it before it goes to seeds. So uh, I've been seeding my yard. I mean, I've been weeding my yard, having my kids, though, kind of, I got a bunch of workers, and I'm like, all right, guys, go attack that hill, get all the weeds, right? They're complaining, but they're doing a good job. But you got to pull weeds, and then you got to plant seeds. You, you've got to turn the soil. You got to fertilize it. You got to water. I mean, if you want this crop that's going to bear all this fruit, it takes some work. And I know this well because uh, I have some grass and I'm kind of a grass guy. I work in the yard a lot. And so it's a marathon type grass for the, I'm kind of geeking out a little bit too much. You didn't, TMI, too much information. But it's a grass. But the thing about this grass is I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, show you a, a few, uh, a first slide here. So this is a, a picture of something terrible that happened to my grass. Okay, this is my backyard. Uh, something invaded my grass. It's called Bermuda grass or Bermuda weed. And it's nicknamed devil grass for good reason. It is the worst. Me and weeds, we have this kind of, this. Uh, we don't get along. So every other weed I could handle because they have vertical roots that go straight down. I get my weed to pull it out by the root. You know, you never just pull it off from the top. You got to get the root. But the thing about the Bermuda grass is it's not a, a vertical, it's a lateral 
uh, just a root, horizontal root that just shoots under the surface like this. And you've got to get that entire thing and it shoots up these runners. And it's just, ugh. So what I have to do is I go down and I start digging up and I chase these runners. And they sometimes literally, no joke, get about this long from one weed. And it's just shooting out all these. So I, I'm chasing it down. So that's the result of me chasing down, digging up my grass, trying to get all the roots out. So it pained me. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I had to weed it, get the roots out, and then I had to like begin to, so this was back in February I took this picture, and then I had to uh, get some, uh, some uh, materials from Home Depot and stuff like that, and then I began to dig it up, I began to uh, fertilize it, and then I planted seeds, and then I cover it with topsoil, and then uh, last week I mowed my lawn, and this is the next picture here. Uh, after a couple months. So uh, from that to this, but it took a lot of time. I had to, like I said, pull the weeds, then I planted seeds, and then topsoil, then I watered it every day. I was watering it, and actually it was during the rain, so I took a break and God watered it for me for all, all, all that rain. And then all the grass came up. Some areas were a little bare. So what I do, I just, no problem, just went out, put more seed. You're constantly pulling weeds. You're constantly uh, planting seeds. And then things begin to grow. And so that's kind of this picture of what it talks about here when it says, and then it, on good soil, it bore fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so that is a result of um, this work done in our hearts. And if you want to grow in the same way to be green and fruitful spiritually, you need to break up that hardened heart. You need to pull the weeds of sin and idols through repentance. And you need to plant seeds by getting into the word of God. And that will lead to fruitfulness. Now, how do we get into the word of God? How do we kind of allow the, the seeds of God's word to get into us? One of the ways is through daily devotions. Daily devotions is not some religious ritual that we check a box off. It's an intimate communion with our Savior that we long to be with. And so that's where we wake up in the mornings or we have a time where we can read the Word of God each day for communion with Christ in His Word for the purpose of heart transformation. You read and then you believe the promises or you respond. Is there something? And I would just say, read until the Lord speaks to your heart and then just meditate on that and just pour out your love and your affection back to God during that time. Psalms 1 verse 1 through 3 says this, how blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and his law he meditates on day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Blessed is the man, the woman, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. If you will meditate, it is likened into a tree planted by the water. And notice, there's our word, it'll bear fruit in season. Whether it's drought and the heat comes through trials and sufferings, you're going to be fruitful. You will still have fruitfulness if you're in God's word and you will prosper. Just a little guidance here. I think a lot of people, there's some wonderful tools out there, a lot of devotion books. There's uh, devotional apps and stuff like that you can do. Those are great. I got no problems with that. But I would, uh, could I just encourage you, maybe consider using those as supplements because nothing substitutes from just getting into the Bible. I, I'm old school. I have paper and leather. Uh, just opening the Bible and just reading from the scriptures and letting the Holy Spirit to speak to you directly from the Word of God. 
I want to encourage you, if you haven't done that, maybe try committing uh, by the grace of God for, uh, you know, 40 days just to read the Bible and see how it goes. If it's new, I'd encourage you maybe start, you could, you know, go hardcore, you know, in Genesis, but I'd encourage you, try 1 John, 1 John. Okay, only five chapters, pretty short. And then you could read James, and then after that, the Gospel of John and through the New Testament. That's just a way to maybe just start doing your devotions. I also do this. I find that if I'm going through hardships or suffering or a trial, I like reading through the Psalms. So if you, maybe you're in a hard place, I encourage you read through Psalms and God will speak to you and give you hope and comfort. He's your refuge. And fruit is produced in our lives as a result of this deepening relationship with Jesus. Here's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's John 15, uh, verse 5. And John 15, uh, uh, verse 5 here. And, well, we have uh, four through five, and it says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Oh, I love what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, abide in me. Notice that. He's saying, abide in me. It's an invitation to be with him. This word abide is used 11 times in 11 verses here. And it's, it's an amazing word. It simply means to remain, to be connected to, to endure, to have a life-giving union with. And he's saying here, abide in me. And then he gives this illustration of a branch he says, this branch cannot bear fruit of itself. That's simple. Go to Temecula or somewhere where there's a vineyard, get a branch, break it off, toss it onto the, the highway, the 15, you know, and the asphalt, right? Is it going to like bear a huge cluster of grapes, you know, the next morning? No, it's going to wither. It's going to wither, you know? And in the same way, saying that, hey, that's a, a picture of my life when I'm not walking with Jesus, when I'm not in the word of God. If I'm not praying, if I'm not in the word of God, and I wonder why I'm depressed, I wonder why I'm fearful, I'm wondering why I'm going through anger and impatience, I'm wondering, why, well, it's simple. I'm not abiding, and you, what do you expect, Kyle? You're not going to bear fruit apart from me. When's the last time you spent time with me? Uh, it's been a while. I've been really busy. Doing what? Ministry. Uh, serving you, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> that's not the same as spending time with you? No, it's different. I'm like, okay, so Jesus, uh, forgive me. I got to get back to you and be like Mary and be at the feet of Jesus so that I can have fruit in my life. Uh, and he says this, I am the vine. Jesus is declaring, I am the vine. See, he's saying this, that with the physical vine, <laughs> the, the branch is dependent on its union with the vine. Every, and here's the reason why, everything that branch needs for life and fruitfulness is found in one place in the vine. A branch has one thing on the to-do list every day. Stay connected to the vine. It, one, one thing, not a dozen things, not five things. One thing, stay connected to the vine. Because in the vine, it's produced a sap that then flows into the branch that provides all the nutrients for it to bear fruits and to be, uh, have life. And he's saying in the same way, I am the vine. I provide life caught through my grace. And you are the branches. You have no life in and of yourselves. But when you abide in me and I in you, the result is my grace will flow into you and you will bear fruit. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing apart from Christ. 
Union with Christ, life-giving, life-developing relationship with Jesus is vital. And the result of that union is the fruit of the Spirit. It's another way of saying if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, I think that's another way of just saying being healthy. What's the big word these days? Emotional health, right? The lack of it because we're turning everywhere but Jesus but if you turn to Jesus, you'll have love, joy, peace. You'll get healthier emotionally, spiritually um, uh, within. And that's why it's so important. And so this morning, I feel for you, maybe some of you this morning, some of us this morning are overwhelmed with anxiety, stress, panic attacks. Uh, and you're thinking, well, pastor, I just need more peace. No, you don't need more peace. You need more of Jesus. Okay. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Because you need more, because Jesus provides peace. He is your peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Maybe today you have an anger and temper. You're yelling at the kids. You're screaming at your wife. You're just out of control with your rage and your anger. You, you, it's not, well, I just need more self-control. No, you need more of Jesus. Because the fruit of being with Jesus is self-control. Maybe it's lust or porn or, or gossip and, or whatever. And you're saying, I, I just need more purity. No, you need more of Jesus because really all of that stuff, illicit stuff, inappropriate stuff is not about lust. It's about not being able to handle stress appropriately by taking it to Jesus and letting Jesus give you purity. If you're impatient, you're always rushing, you're always stressed out, you don't need more patience. Again, you need more of Jesus to know that he is sovereign, he's in control, and he is your patience. That comes as a result of the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it means to have 30, 60, 100 fold. How many of you guys want that? To, I, I know I do. How many of you guys are lacking that? I'm just saying, God, I am struggling. I need more of you. Would you be so faithful? Would you come into me? Would you be my source of life, God? I just need more of you. You've been so good. And the thing about God, I can take 10 steps away from God, and it's always one step back to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. God loves each one of you. And, and, and even as you're hearing, some of you are like, wow, this is hitting. It's not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit. And it, just be encouraged. You have ears to hear, and you are hearing. I want to encourage you, respond to God's invitation. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And if that's you and that's what you're longing for this morning, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. And I want to give you an opportunity. I encourage you right now, respond to God's invitation. Well, pastor, how do I do it? Simply acknowledge that Jesus is God. He's God who left heaven, came to this earth, became a man, and he lived a perfect life as fully God and fully man. Then he went to a cross and he died on a cross, not for his sins because he was sinless. He died for your sins. He died for all of your mistakes, all of your shame, all of your embarrassment. And on that cross, God poured out all of his wrath, all of his judgment, all of his anger upon Jesus Christ so that today, no matter who you are or what you've done, you could be forgiven because of what Jesus has done in your place by dying on the cross for you. And the Bible says that if you will simply believe by trusting Jesus as the only basis of your righteousness, not your moral piety, not the fact you go to church or a nice person or a good person, but know Jesus Christ alone. And if you're willing to repent of your sins, the Bible says you will be born again and you will have new life. 
I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to just give you a moment. I'm going to just be silent right now. I'm going to give you a moment to respond in your own way to that invitation. If you want to believe today, after I say that prayer, we have wonderful pastors. We have the prayer ministry team. Please go up to them and talk to them and tell them, I just made a commitment to Jesus, and I want to know more about Jesus. So I'm going to, I'm going to have a moment of silence for you to respond to God, and then I'm going to close this in a time of prayer. Father, this is a holy moment, and... and I pray that your Holy Spirit would do something that only sovereign God can do. Regenerate. Only you can resurrect dead people. We're dead in our sins. And we need a resurrection of new life this morning. Would you do that right now for each person, each one of us here today? And so if you would like to respond to God's invitation, I just want to give you a moment right now in the silence of your own heart, in your own way, just to listen to your life. The rest of you be praying for those who are making the most important decision of their lives to respond to the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, so much. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the rock of our salvation. Thank you that we have a living hope through Christ Jesus. And this morning we worship you, we boast in the cross, and we praise you for the new life that we have, Lord. I thank you for your love for this church. You are the head of this church, and you are building your church even as you said you would, Lord. God, I pray for each person that made a commitment to you this morning. I pray that you would bless them. We celebrate, and God, we are excited about what you're doing here, God. I pray that they would have a hunger for your word. I pray that they would get plugged into the church right here, and God, I pray that they would grow now as a disciple, Lord. So bless them and watch over them, Lord. And God, I pray that you would bless your church here, Lord. Thank you so much for the work of the gospel right here through this body of Christ, Lord. I pray that you would edify and build up your body. I pray that you would encourage us and light us up, set us on fire, God. We want to be lit up in revival to call heart after you with a reckless abandon. Jesus, you're coming back soon, and we love you, and we want to make Christ known to every one Jesus. So just do that work here, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.